are you ready for a Cameron Meredith dance party? Malcolm Mitchell dance party! So good. So good. Malcolm Mitchell. The next Jeremy Macklin. Kenneth Dixon. All-terrain bell cow. Cops are here. Officer Moncrief is here to break up the dance party. Officer Moncrief and his no-tolerance policy for fantasy points. Dante Moncrief will not abide anyone scoring fantasy points and having fun in his jurisdiction. We ended up starting Moncrief. We lost in the playoffs. Party's over. We're sad. We might as well go wander over to that funeral that's going on. The Jeff Fisher comedy funeral. No more funny Jeff Fisher gifs. No more Jeff Fisher jokes. Goodbye, sweet prince. Heir to the unintentional comedy throne. Goodbye. We are all worse off now without Jeff Fisher in our lives. The world will be a less funny place. In the absence of his unintentional comedy, we will be less than without him. So today we mourn the loss of Jeff Fisher. But Jeff would want us to move on, to move forward, to continue to mock NFL coaches. That's what he would want. But before we do that, I want to remember the best of times that we had with Jeff Fisher. Remember the time that Pat Doherty came on with me and compared the Rams offense to an anti-art movement urinal installment. I try to think of a good thing to compare the Rams offense to, by the way, like some sort of like anti-art movement. You know, like one of those things where you go, <laughs> where you go into a museum and like, there's like a urinal glued to the wall, like in the middle of the gallery. And they're like, yeah, this is art. Like some guy, this is a big installation here. This urinal in the middle of the gallery. No, guys, guys, you don't get the Rams. It's postmodern. <laughs> you don't get exactly. it. They're post-offense. <laughs> Right there, one of my favorite moments in show history. This is going to be the most fun you've ever had on a podcast. It's going to be just me broadcasting. But looking at this show sheet, I can assure you, this is the most fun you will ever have listening to a podcast. Any podcast. It doesn't matter what genre the podcast is. This is going to be the most fun you've ever had. And what's amazing about that is I woke up Monday morning thinking, what the hell am I going to talk about? Most of my fantasy teams are in flames. Most NFL teams did not reach their points projections in week 14. Most fantasy players didn't reach their point projections for week 14. There's Le'Veon Bell. I see Le'Veon Bell over there shaking his head. I know you did well. 
We know you did well, but what about everybody else not named Le'Veon Bell? Most of them didn't do well. But we will talk about a handful of players today that did do well in week 14, that surprised us, that exceeded expectations in week 14. Because while I woke up Monday morning dreading recording this show, thinking we didn't have anything to talk about, suddenly Monday happened. Monday played itself out, and by the end of Monday, I felt like I had multiple shows of content. So I decided that we're going to condense all of the content into one show. Pick the best things that happen and focus only on those things. Pick up the pace, move rapidly through the NFL, and all of the interesting things that happened on Sunday and especially on Monday. Most notably, the Rams firing Jeff Fisher. At first, you celebrated, yes, one of the most incompetent individuals in the league is gone. The league will be better for it. But once you reflect on it a little bit longer, you realize... Whoever is the new Rams coach won't be nearly as funny as Jeff Fisher. The league will be a more boring place without Jeff Fisher. But certain players like Todd Gurley and Kenny Britt will surely benefit from having any other coach than Jeff Fisher. It doesn't matter who it is. Any other coach. On PlayerProfiler.com, Kenny Britt's best comparable player is Larry Fitzgerald. And I believe that if Kenny Britt had been drafted by a team not run by Jeff Fisher coming out of Rutgers that Kenny Britt would be on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Why do I think that? Because as a 22-year-old, Kenny Britt, 42 receptions, 775 yards, and nine touchdowns in only 12 games as a 22-year-old wide receiver. 6'3", 220 pounds, running a 4.56. that's a 102.2, 74th percentile, height-adjusted speed score, 124.9, 71st percentile burst score. If we had the agility drills for Kenny Britt in our workout metrics, it's conceivable he could have an upper percentile Spark X score. He was a productive college player, huge yards per reception at Rutgers, 17.8. Early breakout age, 19.0, 91st percentile. He was a precocious talent at the college level and then at the professional level. Nine touchdowns through 12 games as a 22-year-old player. As a 22-year-old wide receiver, that's exceptional. You just don't see that. And his career has been predominantly tethered to Jeff Fisher, the ultimate throttling device. That's like trying to run a marathon with a parachute strapped to your back. That's the throttling effect that Jeff Fisher would have on any skill position player. Ask Todd Gurley. How you doing, Todd? And yet, through 13 games this year, Kenny Britt already has 63 receptions, and he's closing in on 1,000 yards, and he'll exceed five touchdowns with Case Keenum and Jared Goff at quarterback. Kenny Britt has a plus 18.2 production premium on playerprofiler.com. That's top 20 in the league. The production premium looks at all the given down and distances, red zone fades, drag routes over the middle of the field, looks at every target in every different game situation and measures how well did you perform on any given target in any given game situation against the league average wide receiver. Plus 18.2 is impressive, but in the context of the Rams offense, you could argue Kenny Britt has had the most impressive season of any wide receiver in the NFL. Because what would Mike Evans be on the Rams? I don't know. I, I He might be Kenny Britt level good. He might have Kenny Britt statistics or he might not. Kenny Britt is a plus 41.0 target premium. That's top three in the league. When you compare his output on a per target basis to the other Rams receivers, he's dwarfing their production. If Kenny Britt were drafted by another team, 
the Green Bay Packers, or the New Orleans Saints. Like Larry Fitzgerald five years ago, he would be on a Hall of Fame induction trajectory. We would think of Kenny Britt as a future Hall of Famer. Everyone that covers the NFL would, by consensus, think of Kenny Britt as a future Hall of Famer if he were merely playing for a non-Jeff Fisher-run franchise. Think about that. For that reason, I'm buying Kenny Britt in my dynasty leagues because it can only get better. What if John Gruden goes to L.A.? What if Jim Harbaugh goes to L.A.? How does that impact Kenny Britt's dynasty stock? Spoiler alert, his value increases. Kenny Britt is only 28 years old. Kenny Britt will be 28 years old when the season starts next year. Let me say that again. Kenny Britt will be 28 years old when the season starts next year. He's younger than Antonio Brown. He's younger than A.J. Green. Kenny Britt and Kelvin Benjamin are not that far apart in age. Let's play Pat Doherty's assessment of the Rams' offense one more time. I try to think of a good thing to compare the Rams' offense to, by the way. Like, some sort of, like, anti-art movement. You know, like, one of those things where you go <laughs> where you go into a museum and they, there's, like, a urinal glued to the wall, like, in the middle of the gallery. And they're like, yeah, this is art. Like, some guy... This is a big installation here, this urinal in the middle of the gallery. No, guys, guys, you don't get the Rams. It's postmodern. You don't <laughs> exactly. get it. They're post-offense. <laughs> we recommended playing Kenny Britt last week because Kenny Britt's floor is incredibly high against Atlanta, one of the league's friendliest pass defense for opposing wide receivers. Kenny Britt posted 15.2 fantasy points. Look at his per-week consistency. Go to the Kenny Britt page on playerprofiler.com, click on the Game Log tab, and we put where that player's fantasy output ranked each week. And there were very few weeks where Kenny Britt finished outside the top 40 fantasy wide receivers. Just consistent production after consistent production. 15.4 points, 12.2 points, 12.5 points. And he has the occasional WR1 week, 32.6 points against Detroit. But he's been your prototypical, low-volatility, hyper-consistent WR2 in fantasy. 17.9 points, 16.2 points, 14.7 points, 15.2 points. This is Kenny Britt. Because many wide receivers were facing challenging matchups last week, it made sense just to start Kenny Britt because of that high floor, and we were rewarded. You can play Dante Moncrief and chase the high ceiling play all you want, and chase those double-digit touchdown performances all you want, but... I prefer consistency to volatility when I'm setting my redraft lineups. That's why I continue to play Kenny Britt. But many of my teams, whether I started Kenny Britt or not, flamed out last week. I had some super teams. Teams I thought couldn't be beaten. Dead. Gone. Explosion sound. My teams were blowing up in all kinds of creative ways last week, led by a Dante Moncrief zero. And we foreshadowed this on the previous show with Brad Evans, talking about our best super teams that choked it away come playoff time. Ten years ago, that Tom Brady, Randy Moss stack was thought to be unbeatable. Tom Brady, 50 touchdowns. Randy Moss, 24 touchdowns. Week 14 against the Jets. Nothing. Eliminated. So we don't lose sleep at night knowing that it can happen to the best teams because the NFL is known for many things. But the thing it's most known for 
other than brain matter destroying ultraviolence, are random events and outcomes. The inability to predict what is going to happen next is the magic bean that has allowed the NFL to grow to heights that no sports league has ever reached. The randomness of the weekly outcomes is what keeps us coming back, keeps us interested. But those same weekly random outcomes make the NFL a bad fit for a traditional head-to-head fantasy playoff structure. Any team can be laid low because they were relying on Julio Jones and Theo Riddick and Michael Thomas. And the game time decision compounds this problem because players like Julio Jones are playing at 415. Because he's a game time decision and you don't know whether or not he's going to end up suiting up, you're understandably paralyzed. It's not fair for you as a fantasy player to be put in that situation. It's not fair to the opposing coaches to not know whether or not Julio Jones will be playing. It's not fair to the fans to not know whether or not Julio Jones will be on the field or not. It's not fair to the broadcasting team. And it's especially not fair to Julio Jones himself because he should not feel compelled to play under those conditions. I say compelled. Others might say coerced. Either way, it's unfair for Julio Jones to feel obliged to play at well less than 100% because it threatens his health, it threatens the longevity of his career, and his future earnings. Of all the reasons why the game time decision should be abolished, the negative impact it has on the player in question is the only reason that matters. If the player is unable to practice on Friday and the team is unable to commit to activating him after Friday's practice, teams should announce their active rosters on Friday, not Sunday morning. That rule change is in the best interest of every individual associated with professional football. It would be the first rule change I implement if we lived in some fictional world where I became commissioner. If you can't practice on Friday and establish your ability to play on Sunday, 48 hours before game time, then you'll be inactive. It's that simple. By the time week 14 rolls around, so many players are playing hurt. Remember last year, Calvin Johnson was thought to have an incredible matchup at New Orleans, but it was a game time decision. He ended up playing hurt as a decoy, was unproductive, and most of the teams that started him lost in the playoffs that week. You looked at Calvin Johnson's schedule, you saw that New Orleans game coming up. Ooh, can't wait. Be careful what you wish for. By the time week 14 rolls around, so many players are playing hurt. It makes the individual player performances even harder to predict. It makes your start-sit decisions even more excruciating. It's just another reason why setting up head-to-head matchups to determine fantasy playoff outcomes is a suboptimal playoff system. My leagues, the Underworld Leagues, do not have a matchup-based playoff structure. We use survivor-style playoffs. Five teams make the playoffs. The highest score from the regular season gets a bye, so four teams square off in Week 13. The lowest scorer is eliminated. Then in Week 14, the high-scoring team comes off their bye, and the remaining four teams square off, and the lowest team is eliminated. Then in Week 15, three teams square off, the lowest-scoring team is eliminated, and then in Week 16, the two surviving teams square off in the championship round to determine the league winner. 
You see so often the second best team in the semifinals not making it to the championship because they happen to play the best team in the semifinals and the third or fourth scoring team in the semifinals actually makes it to the championship unfairly. Survivor-style playoffs alleviates that issue, solves that problem. And I should have been eliminated in the Roto Underworld Redraft League, but I moved on. I barely scored 100 points in the Roto Underworld Listener League, a league that starts two quarterbacks, three running backs, five receivers, two tight ends, and a flex. No kicker, no defense. Barely cracked 100 points. How did I make it to the third round? Because one of the teams benched all of his players. That happened. He thought he had a buy because fantasy websites don't support survivor-style playoffs. So didn't read the emails, didn't read the Constitution, but did have time to bench all his players. That was curious. Going out of his way to one by one move every player to his bench. Why would someone do that? If he had just left his lineup from the previous week set, he would have crushed me. But he went out of his way to manually, one by one, move every player to the bench. You could argue that was the least efficient use of time in the history of human civilization. Because not only did it not help him, it caused his demise. There was no value in benching all of his players. None! And when I saw that, I thought, oh no. Oh no, I don't deserve to make it to the next round, but this guy benched all of his players. So he doesn't deserve to make it either. And I clearly scored more points than him, so I'm moving on. But as commissioner, I started to feel anxious. And all the commissioners in this audience know exactly what I'm talking about. Anytime you see a fellow owner make a careless mistake that causes his demise, you know it's only a matter of time until that owner lashes out at the commissioner. Every time, like clockwork. Now, credit to this owner for not doing that. I was certain I would receive an angry email, text, or direct message, but it never arrived. And I'm impressed with that individual's stiff upper lip, internalizing the mistake and realizing, oh, I never did read the rules on how this league is set up, did I? Benching all my players was incomprehensibly silly, and I probably deserve to be eliminated. My guess is that was his thought process, but that's not the thought process of most fantasy gamers. Most fantasy gamers refuse to internalize their own mistakes and instead lash out at the commissioner. I loathe the fantasy gamers that criticize commissioners. Loathe them. Those people are lower than insects. On my global prestige hierarchy of species, those people are below single-celled organisms. Paramecium's are better than you. Amoebas are better than you. Because league commissioners are saints. They don't have to donate their time and effort to administering a fantasy league so that you can have an additional layer of enjoyment with your sports entertainment on Sundays. No commissioner is fully compensated for the work that he performs administering leagues. Rather than criticizing a commissioner, you should only be saying thank you. That's it. Criticisms of commissioners should be abolished. You should only be able to say thank you. The only sentiments you share with your commissioner should be thanks. 
League commissioners should apply for sainthood because they take grief, they absorb the negative sentiments with no positive feedback in return. They are receptacles for your self-loathing and your insecure negativity. Only by the grace of the fantasy football commissioners do we even get to play fantasy football. These leagues take hours and hours and hours of tedious setup time. It's a thankless job. Remember that the next time you even consider firing off a negative message board post directed at your league's commissioner. For my league, I spent many hours drafting a 10-page constitution that lays out every rule in detail, addressing every question that had come up over the years. You draft that constitution, you distribute it to all the fantasy gamers in your league, only to learn later that some of them never bother reading it. They don't have time, but they do have time to bench all their players, and they have time to write paragraphs of vitriol on the message board directed at you. And those people are the worst. But I want to say, the guy who benched all his players in the Roto Underworld Listener League isn't that guy. That guy just ate it. That guy has a stiff upper lip. That guy will be invited back next year. Me not receiving a negative email or text from that particular fantasy player was the most impressive event of the weekend for me. Well, it wasn't really an event, more like a non-event, but anyway, it was impressive. Even more impressive than what Dontrell Inman did because Dontrell Inman has been the most underrated player in all of fantasy. I can state that flatly. Even more underappreciated than Kenny Britt is Dontrell Inman. Because like Kenny Britt, Dontrell Inman also has a top 20 production premium. But because he shares a field with receivers like Tyrell Williams, his target premium is null. On a per-target basis, his productivity when compared to the other receivers in the Chargers passing game is average. His yards per target, 8.7, average. His catch rate is average. But he's playing the Keenan Allen role in that offense. This is what we talked about three months ago. That in that Chargers flanker role, Dontrell Inman is going to get 100 targets this year. Look at what he's done since their bye. Six targets in week 12, 23 fantasy points. Five targets in week 13, 13 fantasy points. And then seven targets in week 14, 19.1 fantasy points. Dontrell Inman has scored a touchdown in three straight games. He hadn't scored a touchdown since week four, so the odds he'll score a touchdown in week 15 are less than 50%, but he's been playing on every snap. He's the snap share leader for the San Diego Chargers. He's logged 100% snap share the last five consecutive weeks. The Chargers have different packages featuring Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin and Hunter Henry, but the one consistent asset that is always present in that passing game is Dontrell Inman. That's why Dontrell Inman has produced double-digit fantasy points in five of his last six games. And who do the Chargers face this week? The Oakland Raiders. Now, the Oakland Raiders' pass defense has been better in the second half than it was in the first half. They're not the worst pass defense. They're not the worst pass defense. Absolutely not. But the Oakland secondary is still a friendly matchup for opposing fantasy wide receivers, and the Chargers are playing at home. 
Vegas has them projected to score 23.5 points. Dontrell Inman is going to receive targets this week, playing in that flanker role, running the intermediate Keenan Allen routes with a 1066, 97th percentile agility score. Dontrell Inman's short area quickness has allowed him to gain separation whenever Phillip Rivers needs a first down, or the deep routes are unavailable, or Antonio Gates is double covered. There's Dontrell Inman. Open again on a drag route. Open again on an intermediate out route. Why? 1066 agility score, 1021 86th percentile catch radius. He's 6'3 with a 1066 agility score. He has one of the best height adjusted agility scores in the NFL. It's like Dontrell Inman was made in a lab to be Keenan Allen's understudy. Across the board, he's not quite Keenan Allen, but almost. Dontrell Inman looks like a fantasy WR2 on any given week the remainder of the season. That's the reason why we were buying Tyrell Williams. We were buying Phillip Rivers three weeks ago. Why? The schedule. Rivers and Williams and Benjamin and Inman had the best schedule by far among quarterbacks and wide receivers. It wasn't close. Trade for Tyrell Williams, trade for Phillip Rivers, well, and trade for Dontrell Lindman. But the beauty was you didn't even have to trade for him. He was available on the waiver wire a couple weeks ago. I picked up Dontrell Lindman in the Friends of Roto World League a couple weeks ago, and I'm starting him this week because he's one of Phillip Rivers' favorite targets, and he has a great matchup at home. He doesn't have great brand equity. We talked about this with Brad Evans last week. Just take a Sharpie and scratch out the name. Just look at the numbers. That's a player you want. The guy that's playing every snap, operating as Phillip Rivers, safety valve receiver and go-to receiver in clutch situations. It doesn't matter that he was undrafted. It doesn't matter that he's an injury replacement. It doesn't matter that you hadn't heard his name spoken before last year. None of that matters. What matters is that plus 16.2 top 20 production premium and the role he's been operating in for the Chargers and who he's matched up with in week 14. And I won't just be playing Dontrell Inman in my few redraft teams that are still in the playoffs. I'll be playing Dontrell Inman in daily and not just on FanDuel and DraftKings on draft because draft increases your chances of winning. And instead of using the salary cap system, draft uses the snake draft system. We agree on very few things in fantasy football, but the one thing we can all agree on draft night is the most fun event of the fantasy football season. And the draft app provides a microcosm of that experience every week. Go to your app store, type in draft, download the app, and then tell all your friends to download the app. And you can draft with your friends every week instead of waking up at 6 a.m. on Sunday and tediously going through the process of setting the same lineup with the same players in every contest over and over and over and over and over again. I don't play much Daily Fantasy on FanDuel and DraftKings because the process of creating lineups is tedious and everybody's playing the same players. It's not interesting to me. Draft is simply much more interesting. And when you download the app, make sure you enter the promo code UNDERWORLD to receive 100% bonus on your deposit. Again, on your iPhone, on your Android, go to the App Store, search Draft, download it, and bring the Draft Night experience to Daily Fantasy. All I'm seeing when I look at Dontrell Inman are green lights flashing.
all systems go for Dontrell Inman. And it's been all systems go this year for Devontae Adams and Marquise Lee. I'm starting to read a number of tweets dismissing Philip Dorsett as a bust, Brashad Perriman as a bust, Nelson Aguilar as a bust, Devin Funchess as a bust. <coughs> Record scratch. <laughs> Hold on! These are second-year players. They're not fully formed professionals. First and second round picks deserve three years of seasoning. If you gave Devontae Adams an extra year to prove himself, are you happy about that? If you gave Marquise Lee an extra year to prove himself, are you happy about that? Yes. Once upon a time, just a couple years ago, Devontae Adams, Philip Dorsett, Devin Funchess, Nelson Aguilar were coveted assets on draft day. So do yourself a favor and give them the courtesy of justifying their draft position because Devontae Adams and Marquise Lee did it this year. When fantasy footballers think of Devontae Adams or think of Marquise Lee, are they considering 2014 or 2015? No! Those seasons are ancient history when evaluating Marquise Lee and Devontae Adams. Irrelevant! They were young. They needed to develop. They struggled through a difficult development process. And they came out the other side stronger for it. The adversity hardened them, made them better receivers, made them better professionals. Who would you rather have next year, Alan Hearns or Marquise Lee? Things came easy to Alan Hearns when he entered the league, even as an undrafted player. Things were very difficult for Marquise Lee as a second rounder. But now who's better positioned to be a weekly producer? It's Marquise Lee. And if I had to pick one wide receiver to be this year's Devontae Adams or Marquise Lee, and of those receivers I mentioned, other than Brashad Perriman, who we talked about on a previous show, I think Devin Funchess is also well-positioned to ascend in 2017, similar to how Devontae Adams and Marquise Lee ascended. Look at last week. Devin Funchess led all wide receivers and targets and scored a touchdown. We predicted this exact career path for Devin Funchess. Don't draft Devin Funchess in 2016. Wait and pick him up after the season starts. There's a good chance that he starts slow. Pick him up as he becomes more acclimated and more assimilated into the offense. And that's what you've been seeing with Devin Funchess. And because he has a redundant skill set with Kelvin Benjamin, the rise of Devin Funchess has coincided with the fall of Kelvin Benjamin. And this was all predicted before the season. Devin Funchess was a popular sleeper pick, but we said don't draft him because being early is being wrong. Now is the time to pick up and play Devin Funchess. Last week, Kelvin Benjamin was one for four for 11 yards and was benched for giving up on routes. That's Dwayne behavior. Talk about Reggie Wayne versus Dwayne Bowe. Are you a Wayne or a Dwayne? Kelvin Benjamin has showed up to camp overweight. Now he's giving up on routes. That's Dwayne behavior. All we've heard about Devin Funchess is a willingness to work hard. That's what you want, a player to work through the growing pains. Not every player can make it out the other side. I wouldn't be surprised if we never hear from Nelson Aguilar again. But based on what we're seeing late in the season this year from Devin Funchess, I believe that Devin Funchess has the medal, the perseverance, the fortitude to overcome the challenges that were presented to him early in the season and to rise above. I believe that Devin Funchess will begin 2017 as the Panthers' number one wide receiver and that you should be targeting him in dynasty leagues. 
And like Kenny Britt, you should be targeting Devin Funches in your dynasty leagues now. Now, before it's too late. Because Devin Funches hasn't posted an eye-popping box score yet. He hasn't flashed in the way that Devontae Adams has flashed throughout the season. But that multi-touchdown game for Devin Funches is coming. And you'll want to acquire him before it arrives. I know it's coming because he's only 22 years old. Kelvin Benjamin is about to turn 26. Devin Funchess was drafted a year after Kelvin Benjamin, but they're three and a half years apart in age. And yet, Kelvin Benjamin is the one that's acting 22. Devin Funchess is acting like he's about to turn 26. Oh, did I tell you this was going to be a fun show? Shredding Kelvin Benjamin, yes. You know it's going to be a fun show when we get to mock Kelvin Benjamin relentlessly. That's a fun show. Keep the fun times rolling. Let's do some mini-segments. The first mini-segment. Truth or watch? Week 14, Jeff Janis. Touchdown! J.J. Nelson. Two touchdowns! I'm a Jeff Janis and J.J. Nelson truther because these guys are too exciting and electric to dismiss. Jeff Janis has size-adjusted athleticism for miles, and J.J. Nelson is the fastest, most explosive wide receiver in the NFL. We talked about Devontae Adams and Marquise Lee to remind you that the third-year breakout is still a thing. Well, the fourth-year breakout is still a thing, too. Jordy Nelson broke out in year four. Vincent Jackson broke out in year four. And Jeff Janis has a history of productivity going all the way back to his time in college and that size-adjusted athleticism I mentioned to break out in his fourth year and become a superstar. It could happen, and J.J. Nelson looks like a superstar this year. I didn't have the balls to play J.J. Nelson in any of the leagues that I own him, so I had to experience the gut-wrenching sensation of J.J. Nelson scoring two touchdowns on my bench. But it's still an uplifting feeling to see the players for which you are an ardent truther score touchdowns. That was today's truther watch. Next micro segment. What happened? I like to call the next segment. What happened? What happened? What happened, Dante Moncrief? What happened? Des Bryant. What happened? Rashard Matthews. I can tell you what happened to those players. A.J. Boye happened. Akib Talib happened. Janoris Jenkins happened. We were talking about A.J. Boye in early October. We've had Janoris Jenkins in our top 10 all season. And we've had Akib Talib posted up as the number one cornerback on our cornerback rankings. Go to playerprofile.com forward slash player dash rankings. And there you can see Akib Talib posted up in that number one cornerback position in our seasonal cornerback rankings. Why? Because Akib Talib is a bad man. <sighs> he told Harry Douglas that he will find him in Atlanta and beat his ass. It was a dirty play by a sorry player. He don't do nothing. He come to the game, don't catch no passes. He come to the game to chop guys from the back, and he got the same agent as me. So when I see his ass in Atlanta, I'm going to beat his ass. With a play like that, uh, you saw Chris go down, and it turned out bad, but it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. I'm sure that really irritated Yeah, it don't, it don't matter how it went. He tried to do something dirty, so that's why I'm going to beat his ass. You're not worried about, obviously, fines? Nah. Like that type coming? Mm -mm. So when I see his ass in Atlanta, I'm going to beat his ass. So when I see his ass in Atlanta, I'm going to beat his ass. That was it. That was all Akib Talib had for us at his post-game press conference, and I loved it. That's what we want. 
every press conference should be trash talk. How much more enjoyable would the NFL be if every press conference were more like the WWE and less like a church sermon? But when it comes to players like Des Bryant, Rashard Matthews, Dante Moncrief, matching up with elite top 10 corners, it's not worth it. We throttle the wide receivers if we believe they will be matched up with a top 10 cornerback. That's the process, and we saw the results last week. You do not want anything to do with wide receivers trying to get open against Aqib Tlaib, Janoris Jenkins, and A.J. Boye. Next micro segment. Really? You sure about that? Like, sure, sure? Really sure? The Chicago Sun-Times reported that John Fox has been, quote, impressed by Matt Barkley. Quote, he's been thrown in on the road in Green Bay. He came in and started with a week's work and performed well against the Titans. And then, really to come here against the Lions on the road against a good football team in a loud environment, I just continue to be impressed by Matt Barkley's performances. Immediately after, Roto World adds, Barkley is not the long-term answer for Chicago, but he has shown well enough to earn a backup job either with the Bears or someone else this offseason. Sure about that? Really sure? Like sure, sure? I'm not so sure. Our dynasty rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Matt Barkley is rising up our dynasty rankings because he's looking more and more like a competent game manager who can develop into a shot-taking game manager who can be elevated by his supporting cast. That's Matt Ryan. That's Andy Dalton. That's Alex Smith. That's Kirk Cousins. NFL starting quarterbacks who can be low-end QB1s, high-end QB2s if they are surrounded by elite skill positions, particularly in the passing game, like an A.J. Green, like a Julio Jones, like a Deshaun Jackson and a Jordan Reed. Matt Barkley can absolutely be that guy. I see no reason why Matt Barkley can't reach Andy Dalton's level as an NFL quarterback. Next micro segment. Bummer, man. The bummer of the season, my biggest disappointment, is the inability of Devontae Booker and Jarek McKinnon to overcome poor offensive line play. That was a bummer. We hoped it would happen. We've seen other running backs overcome poor offensive line play. But in the case of Devontae Booker, in the case of Jarek McKinnon, they weren't able to overcome it. In Jarek McKinnon's case, it could be that the Minnesota Vikings are so bad that few, if any, running backs would have success. It's possible. We'll see. Adrian Peterson is scheduled to return in week 16, so we'll see how he does with that offensive line. I was glad to see Adrian Peterson return to help put Jarek McKinnon's 2016 in better context, because I believe that Jarek McKinnon and Devontae Booker both possess every down NFL bell cow traits. I think they can succeed between the tackles, outside the tackles, and in the passing game. The advanced metrics indicate that it's so, and from what I've seen from them at the professional level and the college level, I continue to believe that. But as we talked about with Brad Evans, Jarek McKinnon is going into his fourth year in the NFL. Those of us that remain enthusiastic about Jarek McKinnon's long-term fantasy football potential should consider wearing truther robes at this point, because there are very few of us left. Next micro segment. Like, duh, duh, duh. Mike McCarthy is our, like, duh, quote of the week. Mike McCarthy on Ty Montgomery. Ty Montgomery is a running back. <laughs> you think, Mike? 
I apologize for not making that announcement. He hasn't been in the wide receiver meetings for months. Thanks for that, Mike. But the thing is, we didn't need that announcement from you because we watch the games and we have the data. Well, I don't watch the games, but I at least have the data. We know that Ty Montgomery has been operating as a running back for the Green Bay Packers for months. We applauded the quick work by ESPN Fantasy Football adding the running back position to Ty Montgomery's eligible positions because it was self-evident that Ty Montgomery had been converted to running back early in the season. This announcement is unnecessary. The fact that anyone is asking you whether or not Ty Montgomery is a running back or a wide receiver in December tells you everything you need to know about the people covering the Green Bay Packers for a living. But that's not even the winning quote. Oh no, the like da winner comes from Bill O'Brien, who is basically Mike McCarthy South in terms of head coaching and competence. Bill O'Brien illuminating us with a reminder that he is not an author nor a writer. Let's play the sound. You guys write the narratives. I'm not a narrator. You guys write the narratives. I'm not an author. You guys write the narratives. I'm not a journalist. You are the narrative man, you guys and women. So you guys write the narrative however you want. Uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, that was my favorite sound of the year. Let's play that again. You guys write the narratives. I'm not a narrator. You guys write the narratives. I'm not an author. You guys write the narratives. I'm not a journalist. You are the narrative man, you guys and women. You are the narrative man, you guys and women. Oof. Next micro segment. Tight end tilt. I've lamented all year my inability to identify sleeper tight ends. I bring experts on the show asking them if they can identify sleeper tight ends. And who do we end up playing? Will tie. Will tie. Ah, will tie. Will tie. Fuck will tie. Fuck him. Two catches for 19 yards. Fuck! Ah! Fuck! Ah! Ah! Jesus! Ah! The only tight end streamer I've been able to trust all year is... Jermaine Gresham. Jermaine Gresham. I love Jermaine Gresham. With every passing week, my affinity for Jermaine Gresham grows like a flower blooming. It's love. Last week, Jermaine Gresham, seven targets. There is a triumvirate in the anemic Cardinals passing game. As anemic as it is, the Cardinals passing game now has a triumvirate. You can expect the targets to be funneled to Larry Fitzgerald, number one, David Johnson, number two, and number three, it's Jermaine Gresham. Get Jermaine Gresham. Play Jermaine Gresham. But in some dynasty leagues, Jermaine Gresham wasn't available to me, shockingly. So I went into full tight end tilt mode, of course. Picking up Neil Sterling. Neil Sterling is my tight end tilt of the week. Thought, why not Neil Sterling? An oversized wide receiver converted to tight end. 6'3", 235, coming out of Monmouth. Not fast enough to play the wide receiver position running a 4'6'8". But as a move tight end, that's what you want. 4'6'8", 40 time, 120.1, 64th percentile burst score. 
1132 agility score, so Neil Sterling has nice size-adjusted agility for a tight end, giving him a 10-15, 77th percentile catch radius. We saw last night Darren Waller caught a touchdown on Monday Night Football. That's something Neil Sterling is absolutely capable of now that Julius Thomas is on the IR, Mercedes Lewis looks like Frankenstein playing that position, and Sterling's a more explosive athlete than Ben Koyak. So why not Neil Sterling in a game against the Bears last week? Well, at least he was better than Will Ty, posting three receptions for 27 yards. The week before that against Denver, five catches for 43 yards. If you want to invest in a move tight end, I don't do that. I have an arbitrary weight threshold for my tight ends. I like them to be 250 pounds, with an exception or two like Ladarius Green, but most often I set an arbitrary 250-pound threshold for my tight ends. Neil Sterling doesn't meet that threshold at 235 pounds, but he's a move tight end. He's not an every-down player. He'll be playing in certain packages, but as a former wide receiver, I think he can see the field more often than not, and he's a better option than the wide receivers that are lower on the totem pole, like Aurelius Ben and Brian Walters and Rashad Green. If he can simply be better than those receivers... Then for the remainder of the season and into 2017, then you can project a healthy target share from Neil Sterling, particularly in the red zone, in week 15 and 16 of this season and into 2017 because Julius Thomas is a cut candidate. One of the highest priced tight ends in the league. I'm on SportTrack.com looking at Julius Thomas's contract. He signed for $24 million guaranteed. He's made $18 million. So the Jaguars now owe him $6 million. But his cap hit in 2017, because it incorporates a percentage of his original signing bonus, $8,300,000, creating just over $3.5 million in dead money. So if you subtract the cap hit from the dead money, the Jacksonville Jaguars can save almost $5 million in 2017 by cutting Julius Thomas. Julius Thomas, who has underperformed his salary. No one would argue that Julius Thomas's contract has been a good deal. 9.1 fantasy points this year outside the top 20 tight ends. Last year, 10.1 fantasy points per game outside the top 12 tight ends. So for $24 million guaranteed, the Jacksonville Jaguars were not able to acquire a fantasy tight end one. That's a bad deal and a natural cut candidate in the offseason. Next micro segment. The Dwayne of the Week. This one's a slam dunk. Michael Floyd is the Dwayne of the Week. Go to playerprofiler.com. Michael Floyd's best comparable player is Dwayne Bow. Michael Floyd's perception has been built upon one good year, over 1,000 yards in his second year in the NFL. Dwayne Bow's perception as a star wide receiver was built around one season with the Chiefs with double-digit touchdowns. A hallmark trait of the Dwayne wide receiver is inconsistency. And Michael Floyd hasn't been merely inconsistent this year. He's been abhorrent. 47.1% catch rate. Michael Floyd is Ted Ginn without the sub 4440 wheels. 47% catch rate is 95th in the league. He's dropping a lot of passes and poor in contested situations. That's how a catch rate that low gets created. Negative 12.8 production premium, negative 7.4 target premium. By every advanced efficiency metric we can possibly look at, Michael Floyd has been an epic failure. Face planning in his age 26 season in the NFL. Alshon Jeffrey also face planted in his age 26 season. 
but his production and efficiency haven't been nearly as apocalyptic. After getting charged with a DUI a couple nights ago, Michael Floyd is officially Dwayne Bow West. You are the narrative man, you guys and women.